want you to turn back to the book of Haggai. Now, this morning we started the book of Haggai, and um, as we started this book this morning, um, if you remember, uh, we looked and we saw that the purpose of the book through four admonitions or four messages, the purpose of the book was that God was trying through the prophet Haggai as Haggai communicated to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judea, and Joshua, the high priest, that they would communicate to the people to encourage and exhort them to go back to the place of obedience to the Lord in that they would go back to the building of the temple. Now remember, in Ezra they had started the construction of the temple and then a enemy arose against them. And as that enemy rose against them, uh, what we found was that this morning that these Samaritans, as they came against Israel, um, they were trying to deceive them and partner with them. Um, but in reality, they wanted to control and have authority over them. And then we saw that as they began to uh, accuse these of Israel, before the king, Artaxerxes made a decree, and that decree said that they had to stop the work of the building of the temple or stop the work of God. And 16 years had went by, and they had still not went back to what God commanded them to do all along. And so that's what we looked at this morning. We looked at the exhortation to build in verse 1, and then we looked Secondly, at the excuse concerning building in verse 2. Remember the people said it's not time for us to build the temple. It's not time for us to give ourselves to this. And remember we talked this morning that the reason they felt that way, and we know this from Ezra chapter 4, that the Samaritans continued to oppress them even up to the second year of Darius being the king. And so out of fear... They would not go back to the work of God. Now, when we come to verse 3, you're going to begin to see that God's now going to try to help this people by refocusing their attention. Now, understand, whenever you and I are walking in a way that's disobedient to the Lord, the greatest way God can help us is to get our focus readjusted. Because a lot of times what happens is when we're not walking in obedience, is the reason for that is that our mind or our focus is on the wrong thing. Most of the time, I would say that that wrong thing would be self. And therefore, when we get our eyes on self, you're going to get your eyes off of the Lord. And when you get your eyes off the Lord, you're going to find yourself not walking in obedience to the Lord. And this is what God is trying to do. Through, through this message, through Haggai, he's trying to get the people. Now remember, it's the remnant of Israel that he's talking to, not all of Israel. It's just the remnant of Israel. And here's what he says to them in verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses and this house lie in waste? Now, what is he saying here? Well, let's look at the exposing in the building. In other words, God's going to expose some things about Israel and this remnant of Israel. Now remember, we're talking about the faithful of the faithful of Israel. 
But yet God said to him in verse 2, this people instead of my people. In other words, they're the faithful of the faithful of Israel, but yet they're not acting like God's people. And so God's trying to adjust their attention or adjust their focus. And he says to them, asking them this rhetorical question, he says, is it time for you, O you that dwell in sealed houses and this house? Laying waste. In other words, Israel said, hey, it's not time. The timing's not right for us to build the house of God. If we do it, it'll be to the detriment of our own well-being. I mean, the Samaritans will come against us again. And then here's what the Lord says. Well, let me ask you another question then. Is it time for you to build your own houses? In other words, you say it's not time to mess with the house of God. But now it's more than enough time for you to build your own houses. It's a rhetorical question in which he's asking them. Now, what does this question expose about this remnant of Israel? I want you to see this. First thing it is exposes their motives. Because what you have here in verse 4 is when it says that they this question about them building in their own sealed houses, what it's saying is they have gave their focus to their self-interest and lost focus of God interest. In other words, they're more interested in their own well-being than they are in the glory of God. Because remember, the glory of God in the Old Testament was manifested by the presence of God where? In the temple. And yet they were not giving themselves an obedience to what God had commanded them to do. And so what he's doing first is he's exposing their motives. Can I tell you what I found in my own life? I found in my own life that when I am not walking in obedience, I have a motive problem. Because I find out that my focus is, my motive is more centered in me than it is in God. In other words, when I choose to do with my time what I want to do with my time instead of what God wants me to do with my time, can I tell you, I've got a motive problem. And so what was going on with Israel is they had a motive problem. They had, they didn't realize that God was to be the center of everything about their lives. He was their provision. He was their protector. We talked about all that this morning. And they forgot about all that. And they went about to not be give themselves to the work of God, but they had plenty of time to give themselves to the work. It was going to enhance their own personal comfort. And this was the motive problem in which they had. No wonder the Lord Jesus said these words. But if you would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He will add all these things unto you. You see, Israel needed an attitude adjustment, a motive adjustment. And God's trying to get their focus back to the place where they see that God's work. Now listen, this is going to rub some folks wrong, but it's okay. Y'all going to love me say amen. God's work always trumps our interest. Always. There's never a time in the Bible that God allows us to place our interest above God's work. And we need to understand that. And that's what he's trying to get across to Israel here. Now, not only does he expose their motives, but he exposes their means. Now, one of the things you have to understand, that that the reconstruction of the temple would be very, very costly and would take a lot of resources, a lot of, if you will, 
metal and timber to do. And so remember what we looked at this morning. What did we find out this morning? Cyrus, when Cyrus was used as a vessel of God to bring Israel out of Babylonian captivity, you remember what we found out this morning? Cyrus not only told them to go back to Jerusalem, but in telling them to go back to Jerusalem, he gave them all the resources they needed to build back the temple. And so in other words, they had everything they needed to do exactly what God said to do. But instead, what did they do? Well, they took that material and built their own houses with it. You know what I found, guys? Listen. You and I need to understand whatever God leads us to do as a church family, whatever God leads us to do individually in our lives, here's what you're going to find. God's already provided everything we need for what he calls us to do. You say, well, preacher, it it may take a lot of resources to do what God calls us to do. Well, can I tell you, he's already provided it. And you say, well, preacher, it's not in the bank account. Listen, it's there. We just got to tap into what God has. In other words, we got to make ourselves available to God. And as we make ourselves available to God, what do you find out? God had the provision before you ever had the need. And you and I need to understand, when we understand that God has the provision before you had the need, then you just get in the flow of what God does, how God God does it. You make yourself available to him. And when you make yourself available to him, guess what? He has all the resources available. I remember a story Manly Beasley told years ago in a book he wrote on faith. Manly Beasley told the story of a missionary. And this missionary had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give him a certain amount of money because he needed that amount of money to go on a certain mission trip. And he began to pray and pray. He was sitting in his office and he was praying and praying and praying. It wasn't much. It was something like four or five hundred dollars. It wasn't a lot of money. And he was praying, God, you, you know, I need this, this, these finances to be able to go on this mission trip. And I believe you told me to go on this mission trip. God, would you give me what I need? And all of a sudden he said, the spirit of God just spoke to his heart. And he said, why are you asking me for something God's already given? And he's sitting there going, wait a minute. I don't, I don't have it. And here's what the Spirit of God taught this missionary. He said, if I told you to go on this mission trip, would I tell you to go on this mission trip and not have already provided for it? And all of a sudden in brokenness, this guy began to weep. And as he began to weep, he stopped and he said, Lord, thank you that even though I don't know where it is, You've already provided for my need. And at that moment, he started hearing walnuts drop down onto the roof of his house. And he heard out in the backyard kids just scurrying around, grabbing up all of these walnuts and putting them in bags. And he walked outside and he said, kids, what are y'all doing? He said, oh, we take these down to the market. We sell them, get good money. He, he went, he gathered up all the walnuts that he had in his backyard. And we went down to the market. Guess how much he had? Exactly what he needed. Amen. In other words, God provided before he ever had the need. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Israel had plenty to build their own houses. Therefore, they had plenty to obey God. But they chose their self-interest above God's glory. Now, I want you to see this because this, this is interesting to see. You see here in verse 4 where it says, you dwell in sealed houses. 
The word sealed here is a Hebrew word that means paneled houses. Now this word can mean one of two things. It can mean paneled housing. And listen, in that day to have paneled housing was something that only kings would have. It can also mean houses with roofs. In other words, houses that, let me put it to you this way, means houses that are finished with the final touches. And so here was the thing. These people had given themselves to building their own houses to the point, to the point that they put the final touches. In other words, they didn't leave one thing undone in their own house. But in in, in respect and in contrast, what does he say? He said, listen, you paid yourself roofed houses or paneled houses, whichever you want to interpret it. And he says, but at the same time, my house. That's not what he said. Look at it closely. He said, this house, not my house, this house lies in waste. Now, why did he use this term, this house, and not my house? Because the only thing that made the temple his house was his presence. And his presence was not there yet. And he says, you've allowed this house to lay in waste. Now, listen, folks. You and I need to understand to go on this this journey that God's got us on. And by the way, what a glorious testimony of a beginning of what God's doing tonight. Thank you for being here. But at the same time, listen to what I'm about to say. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take to to coming to the place of maybe doing some things that may be a little uncomfortable to us. But I want to tell you something, folks. If it's God's direction, if it's God's will, if it's God's way, here's the reality. God will take care of it all. And you and I need to make sure that we give ourselves to what he wants above our own self-interest. Now, let me show you a third thing that he exposed. He exposed their mess. You say, what do you mean mess? Well, he says, you've left this house. Notice it didn't say God left this house. It says you left this house. What? Waste. Now, this word waste, what does it mean? It means to be desolate. Now, how many of you agree if something's desolate, it's missing something? I mean, listen, if you have a desolate land, what have you got? A land without water, a land without vegetation, a land that has very little life. If you have a a place that is desolate, a house that's desolate, what are you saying? You've got a house that's been abandoned. In other words, what he's saying is, he says, you've left this house an absolute mess, desolate. Why? Because you have abandoned this house for your own house. Now, what is this mess they've left? Well, look at three things with me real quick. In leaving the house that God had them to design and build, in leaving that house desolate, here's what it means. The privilege to worship was missing. Now, how many of you agree that what God directed Israel to do, how did God direct Israel to worship? God directed Israel to worship by what? Sacrifice. 
In other words, those sacrifices, burnt offering, peace offering, meat and meal offering, those were the sweet smelly savor offerings unto God. What was the only sacrifice God would accept from Israel? Sacrifices. Why? Because listen, in and of themselves, because listen, they couldn't keep the law, therefore they were unholy. But God said, if you'll come in the means of another, a spotless sacrifice, He said on the basis of that spotless sacrifice, I'll accept your worship. Can I tell you today, our worship is not come from who we are or what we do or what we are. It comes from the person of the Lord Jesus. He's the spotless sacrifice. And He is a sweet-smelling savor unto God. But they couldn't worship. Why? Well, remember, 16 years earlier, they had built the altar and they had built the foundation. But then they left it and they abandoned it totally. So in other words... They had a 16-year-old altar that probably had been demolished by now. But at the same time, they had no ability to obey God in their worship. They had no ability to bring a burnt offering unto God. They had no ability to come to God with a sweet-smelling offering of surrender or peace or purity. And so what we find, what made this place desolate is the privilege to worship was missing. Guys, listen. There's nothing that will interfere with your worship of the Lord quicker than disobeying His Word. Nothing. Disobedience to His Word hinders our fellowship with God And as it hinders our fellowship with God, it'll hinder our worship of God. Now, let me ask you a question. After these songs we've just sung, is he worthy of worship? Because of what Christ done for us, should there be anything in our life that's more important than worshiping him? Did Christ give up? Absolutely. But see, because Israel was scared, they forfeited the privilege to worship the way God said to worship. Let me show you a second thing. Not only the privilege of worship was missing, but the presence of wonder was missing. You say, who's that? God himself. Why did God want them to build this temple back? So he could have an elaborate-looking building that he could look down from heaven and say, wow, isn't that pretty? Look what my people done. Is that the reason he wanted? No. What was the purpose of the temple? The whole purpose. God told Moses when he designed the tabernacle, what was the purpose he told Moses? He said, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle that I can be with my people and I will be their God and they will be my people. He wanted to dwell amongst his people. He wanted his glory to be manifested from a central place called the Holy of Holies of a holy God. Now remember this. When God saved you, you became that Holy of Holies. But yet here is the people of Israel. And what's happened? Well, because they disobey out of fear, now all of a sudden what's happened? They do not have the indwelling presence of God among them anymore. Now, God in His love and mercy speaking through the prophet Haggai, you better be glad 
But yet the in the indwelling presence of God in the Holy of Holies was not there. And the wonder of his presence was missing. No wonder he said, my place lays desolate. Because I want to tell you something. You take God out of the man. Can I tell you what you got? Desolate body. Absent of life. Absent of everything that you and I need to function in this world. And you and I need to understand that because Israel wouldn't obey God, all the time they were in Babylonian captivity, and then they get released to build the temple back, and yet 16 years, now I want you to hear this, 16 years, they had convinced themselves that their own self-welfare was better than having the presence of God amongst them. Now, here's the glorious thing about you and I that are saved. You can't lose the presence of God. But here's one thing that can be affected. His manifested presence. How he manifests himself in our lives. One Bible scholar years and years ago said this. He said in most churches in America, now he said this back in the 70s. I can't imagine what he'd say today. He said in most churches in America, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the church, the average church in America would not miss him. You see, Liberty, here's my thing. What I told you this morning, a new beginning with liberty, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Why? Because I'm not interested in just him being here. I know he's here. You say, how do you know he's here? Well, number one, I believe Anton's saved. Y'all believe Anton's saved? Say amen. amen. Don't matter if you do or not. Anton knows he's saved. Amen, Anton? Amen. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm saved. How many of y'all know you're saved? Raise your hand. All right, then let me ask you a question. Where's God live when he saves you? So are you here? Who'd you bring with you? See, I'm not interested as God admits. What I'm interested in is us experiencing the manifested presence of God. God moving. God manifesting himself. God in his mighty grace and glory, exposing, exhorting, convicting, edifying, encouraging, breaking. Y'all with me? And nothing will quench that spirit quicker than disobedience. See, we can live if we're not careful, and I believe this is what's happened in the church in America in general. We've lived so long without experiencing the manifested presence of God that we don't even realize that we're not experiencing it. And Israel here said, my self-interest is more valuable to me than God's presence. Isn't that amazing? Let me show you a third thing. 
Not only did he expose the mess that was created in the privilege of worship being missing and the presence of the wonder being missing, but the proclamation of a witness being missing. Now, we're going to find out next week as Israel will come to the place of obedience. He tells Israel, he says, go, build the house of God. And he tells them why? That my glory would be seen. You see, what is? what do you think the Samaritans, the enemy that came against Israel and Ezra for, the neighbors of, of Jerusalem that had uh, been the catalyst through which Satan used to stop the work of God? Sixteen years they wouldn't give themselves to working in obedience to God. What was the witness that it left them? What do you think they would have said about the God of Israel? (laughs) Oh, he's timid. He's scared. He's fearful. He's not sufficient. Guys, listen, why is it important that we as a church family, why is it important that Lake Lure, where Anton pastors, his church family, why is it important that we walk in absolute unequal obedience to God? I want to tell you why. Not that we can enjoy it, not that we can see and, and walk out here in awe and amazement. No, no, no. Why is it important that we experience the manifested presence of God? That outside these four walls, the world would know that God has showed up. Yeah. And God's at work. It's a witness to those around us. I've told you the story before in the first church I pastored. We had a mighty, mighty, mighty move of God for about two to three years continuously. And and in that time, I was riding down the road. Now listen, the church I pastored, the first church I pastored, if you put it in GPS, they'd go, where? Forget it. GPS couldn't find it. But it was a two-lane road that was really so narrow. If, If a truck was coming, you'd have to pull off the side to get there. And I was driving down to my office one morning, and, and a lady was out in the front yard, mowing her yard, a lady we've been trying to witness to for three years. And, and she shuts off the lawnmower, starts running to the road, and starts flagging me down. And, and I go, oh, no. I mean, I thought something's happened to her. I slammed on the brakes, put it in reverse, backed up. And listen, her, her nickname in the community was Honey. And I said, Honey, what's wrong? And she said, Oh, nothing's wrong. I got a question for you, preacher. I said, What is it? She said, My daughter's changed. My, my son-in-law changed. I mean, my neighbors changed. He, she said, what in the world's going on down at that church? And I said, listen, I want to tell you what's going on. God's in the midst and God's showing up and God's manifesting himself. I said, why don't you come find out for yourself? 16 years. They ceased to be a witness of God's glory. He exposed their mess. Well, we've looked at the exhortation to build, the excuse concerning building, the exposing in the building. I want you to look lastly tonight, the examination concerning building. Look at verse 5. He says, now therefore. How many agree he's already said a lot? He said, now therefore, with all that being said, Says the Lord of hosts. What does the Lord of hosts mean? 
the Lord of the army, the Lord of battle, the Lord mighty. Consider your ways. What is he saying to them? This word, consider your ways. Here's what it means. It means this. To give careful thought concerning. Now I want you to look at a few things in in verse 5, 6, and 7. The urgency of the command. Now, therefore. Why did he use the word now, therefore? Remember, they said it's not time to build. And he said, well, you got time to build your own houses. Now, therefore. What are you saying, preacher? I said, I'm saying this, that God is putting the finger on the will of these people. And he's saying to them, consider your ways. Because this command I'm giving you is an urgent command. You know what I found about obedience? For obedience to be that that is out of a gratitude or heart of love, obedience will be an immediate response to what God says. If I have to have my arm twisted, to be obedient. It's not out of heart of love. It's because I feel like I have to out of duty. But can I tell you, when I'm yielded and surrendered, here's what I find out. I find out that obedience becomes a delight and a joy. Liberty, listen to me. Everything God says to us in the form of a command is an urgent command. Urgent command. Something God wants us to be obedient right then and at that very moment. Well, notice secondly the unction in the command. He uses this term, Lord of hosts. As I said, it means Lord of the battle or Lord of the army, a Lord that is mighty, unconquerable. What does this say? Why, why did, why is this the term used as he gave them this command to consider their ways? Because he's trying to let them know something. You say, what is it? Number one, he's trying to let them know the fervency of this command. It's a fervent command. You say, what do you mean? It's a, fer- a fervent command. Here's what I mean. It means it's a passionate and not only passionate, but an intense passionate command. In other words, God's saying to them, you need to stop everything right now and rethink where your focus is. Right here, right now. That's what he's saying to them. But notice the force behind the command. If if it's the Lord of hosts that's given this command, then what is he saying? Well, you can't overcome me. I'm God. So the force of this command is is I, the mighty one of battle. I am coming against you, but I am here for you. But I will be against you if you don't yield yourself to me 
and you cannot overcome me. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Have you, has anybody in here ever won an argument with God? <laughs> I sure haven't. You know what I found? You can't win an argument with God. And so there's force behind what the Lord says to us. And folks, when we choose us over Him, we're choosing to go against the God of battle. The force of this command, the unction in the command. Well, look next, the understanding in the command. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, here's what he's saying. Step back. Let's examine some things with you. And the prophet is now going to lay out some evidences in which he wants them to examine. And he says, give careful consideration. Give careful thought to these things before you decide who you're going to yield to, your own self or to him as God. You say, what did he have him consider? Well, look at it with me in verse 6. He begins by saying, consider your crops. He says, you have sown much and, and bring in little. In other words, he said, you, you farmed and you tilled and you sowed and you farmed and you tilled and you sowed and you farmed and you tilled and you sowed and you watered and you sowed and you tilled and you farmed. You, you've worked yourself to death. He said, what's your barns look like? He said, consider it. He said, what did God tell the people? Did God tell the people of Israel, hey, I, I, I'm a God that I, I'm not going to let you have enough in your barns. Is that what God said to Israel? He said, oh, no. He said, listen, I'm your provider. As a matter of fact, they had a feast just to celebrate God and bringing forth the harvest, a whole feast God set up just to praise Him for the, for the fruits of the harvest. And, and here He said, He said, listen, he said, 16 years, you've disobeyed me. 16 years, you've not gave yourself an obedience to me. He said, what's your labor brought for? What do you have to show for it? Not only consider your crops, but notice what he says, consider your contentment. Watch what he goes on to say. He says, you eat and you have not enough. You drink but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but you're not warm. Let me ask you a question. If you eat, but you're still hungry, you drink, you're still thirsty, you clothe yourself, but you're still cold, are you going to be content in that? Here's what he's saying. He said, Israel, remnant, my people, that, that, that listen, obeyed me from the start, but got fearful and quit obeying me. He said, let's look at, look at it, examine it, consider it. You're not producing. And you're not content. Nothing you give yourself to brings contentment. Here's what I found as a child of God. That when I'm out of fellowship with God because of disobedience, I find discontentment in every little thing. If it's not there, I'll create it. You say, why is that? Because I'm out of sorts with God. I'm battling with God. And when I'm battling with God, listen, discontentment is just a natural outflow. But here's what I found. When I'm in right fellowship with God, 
no matter what comes in my life, I can find myself to walk in peace and contentment. You know why? Because when I'm out of fellowship with God, I get my attention on everything else. When I'm in fellowship with God, I get my attention on Him. And when I get my attention on Him, here's what I find. He's always enough. He says, Israel, consider. Think through this. Really think through this. Where's your focus at? What does it get you? What does it produce for you? Has it brought peace? Has it brought contentment? Has it brought crops? No. Lastly, consider your, your consequences. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. Let me ask you a question. You ever had an old pair of pants? Had a hole in the pocket? And you went to the grocery store and got your Snickers? You gave them a $10 bill and they gave you $8.78 back. And you take that $8.78 back and put it in your pocket and you start walking to your car and you go, man, that feels funny. And then all of a sudden, click, click, click. And your money starts falling on the ground. He said, look at the consequences of your disobedience. You're working. You're working hard. What do you have to show for it? Your money's falling through the holes of your disobedience. Y'all seeing that? Say amen. I have people come to me every now and then and they say, Preacher, you know, I, I just... Uh, Preacher, I just want you to know, I'm going to do the best I can, but I can't afford to tithe. Here's what I tell them. Y'all say amen. No, you can't afford not to. You know why? Because God will get it out of you one way or the other. If you're truly His. Now, if you're not His, listen, do whatever. won't matter. But if you're His... He'll get it out of you one way or the other. It may be your refrigerator goes out, but he'll get it out of you. Preacher, one time years ago, I heard him say this. He said he had a man come up to him, and he said, Preacher, I've got a problem. Preacher said, what's your problem? He said, here's my problem. He said, you know, I've always tithed. And the preacher said, well, praise the Lord, you've obeyed God. He said, yeah, I've always tithed. He said, but when I was tithing, I was making $70,000 a year. And he said, you know, I'd give my 10%. I'd give my tithe. He said, but preacher, listen, I've just been so blessed. Now I'm making over $150,000 a year. He said, I can't afford to give that much. (laughs) Preacher said, oh, you got a problem, don't you? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I got a problem. He said, well, let's pray about it. Man said, thank you so much, preacher. So they got down on their knees. And here's what the preacher prayed. He said, Lord, I pray you'd bring this man's income back down to $70,000 where he afford a tithe. (laughs) I'd bless you, wouldn't it? <laughs> Your money bag's got holes in it. Why'd the Lord take them down this road of examining, considering these things? Because it's exactly what God told them would happen if they disobeyed Him. 
And God's just fulfilling his promise. You say, where's that at, preacher? Well, I'm glad you asked. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and presses shall burst out with what? New wine. You say, well, wait a minute. You said God told Israel specifically. I did. You say, where's that at? Well, I'm glad you asked. Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26, 18. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their what? So here's all God's saying to, to Israel. Here's all he's saying. Did I not tell you what I'd do? Verse 7, watch what it says. Same thing it says in verse 5. Therefore, what? Consider your way. In other words, here's what God's saying. Don't be surprised that this is happening. Don't be amazed. I told you what was going to happen. But on the flip side of it, what did God tell them if they obeyed? He'd be everything for them. Liberty, listen to what I'm about to say, okay? Y'all love me, say amen. If we as a church family will put the first thing first and let God be first in our life, as a church family, I want you to hear me. We will stand amazed at the spiritual fruit God will bring out of the ministry God's called us to do. We'll see souls saved. We'll see lives changed. We'll see you and I grow in grace and knowledge like we've never grown before. We'll see brokenness, surrender, yieldedness. We'll see restoration, forgiveness. We'll see God manifest Himself in ways that'll turn this church upside down for the glory of God. But if we choose our self-interest above obeying God, we won't see any of that. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I've already tasted the honey. And it was good. I, I, I'm ready to dip in the honeycomb again. And eat the jar. We've already saw God move in a mighty way here. But I'm telling you, if we're obedient, what we've seen will be the mercy drops. And what we will see will be the drenching flood of His grace. Father, may we find obedience to you above everything else in our life.
that, Father, you would have the freedom to work, to move, to manifest yourself, to honor yourself, to glorify yourself, that we can be not only a lighthouse to this community in this area, But, Father, when those around us, those that we work with and those, our neighbors and those that live in our homes, many of our family who may be wayward or lost, when they get around us, we've experienced in our personal time and in our corporate time, the grace that you pour out when you manifest your presence. It would so alter and change us that those around us would have no choice but to say their God is a mighty and great and powerful God. And Father, your son would be lifted up. And when your son's lifted up, you will draw. You will draw. So Father, I pray we'd obey you tonight. Right here, right now. 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 Let us consider our ways. May it begin right here, right now, for your honor and your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,